The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And it's the Thursday Club. We're going to be doing the final word on Peterborough from Saturday, reviewing Fulham's six in a row one of our best winning records since those heady to garner days. We're also going to discuss Niskin's Cabano a little bit in depth. And I've got a little game at the end as well called Bronze, Silver, Gold, which I'm very excited to debut today. Uh, Thursday Club normally is myself, Peter and Jack, but no Peter today. So just myself and Jack Collins. It feels like old times. Yeah, it's an old school podcast. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. How are you? You good? Yeah, fine, thank you. How are you enjoying the international break? No football yet, although I imagine by the time this goes out, um, the Republic could have done Alexander Mitrovic a very big favour indeed if they can pull off the impossible against Portugal tonight. Yeah, the battle of the real CR7s, isn't it? Yes. Callum Robinson versus Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, 14 to 1 on Paddy Power to get to, for Callum Robinson to outscore Cristiano tonight. There you go. There's one for if, if this goes out beforehand, then then you can jump on that one. But yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I'd love to love to do Mitro a favour. That'd be good value. So let's see if Cyrus can can help him out um, and see what happens there. It is one of the most interesting kind of battles in the UEFA qualifying for the World Cup because you've got that Portugal Serbia game on is it Sunday night Monday Sunday night? night yeah Sunday night um, and it's basically a winner takes all whatever happens tonight between the Republic and Portugal it, it, it comes down to whoever wins that game will go in automatically to the World Cup yeah it does but I suppose if Ireland win tonight or even get a point uh, it means that Serbia would only need to go to Portugal and get a point. So that's uh, that would that would be useful, I'd imagine, as opposed to having to go there and win. Now, if you've got a strike force of the potency of Alexander Mitrovic and Dusan Vlavic, I imagine you're not too worried about scoring goals, but it's keeping them out at the other end is going to be a problem. This strike force are going to be the hottest in Europe right now. So Vlavic, mm. Vlavic has just broken two records for Fiorentina. So he's become the first player since Luca Toni or Gabriel Battistuta to score 23 goals in a calendar year for Fiorentina. Luca Tony got 24. Vlavic has got 25 and he got him in October. So there's wow. two months left for him to, to continue chasing that record and setting it, setting it even higher. Uh, and Mitrovic, as we very well know, is literally on fire, 20 goals in 17 games. I was looking up his goal contribution record earlier um, and he's got five assists as well, which means that he's currently averaging a goal contribution every 58 minutes. <laughs> this season, which is arguably ludicrous, if I'm honest, uh, it's basically unplayable. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope that we can do him a favour, and then fingers crossed, they can, they, Mitro can fire Serbia uh, into into glory. It is actually obviously it's important for Mitrovic. You've got World Cup qualification on the line, but given what happened a year ago again against Scotland for uh, for Serbia where they missed out on the euros because of his penalty kick um yeah this is a, this is a big weekend for for Mitro opportunity and- for redemption i mean look the chances are that serbia are going to be going into the playoffs like you know much as much as they can dream and much as this is a good serbia side it's probably a better portugal one um and yeah, the chances are they're going to be in the playoffs. I don't think they'll mind that too much. I think they'll fancy their chances in the playoffs. They're a very, very good side, this Serbia team. Yeah, indeed. And uh, there's a great article uh, kind of built around Alexander Mitrovic, which went live on The Athletic today. Uh, Peter was a part of writing it as well, but it was a it was a staff article, you know, where they pulled all the shots out for this one. Uh, it's like who when we is... used to do a round table. For yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, who is the greatest championship striker? Uh, and it's looking at some of the stats and facts. And obviously Mitrovic comes out very well, uh, particularly in the best minutes per goal ratio. Uh, the best of any uh, championship striker with a minimum of uh, 35 goals. If you want to read that, plus all of uh, Peter's analysis, uh, we're going to touch on some of it later, especially with Niskin's Gabano, then you can get 33% off the subscription by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Now, Jack, there's not a lot more to say on Saturday's game against Peterborough that wasn't said um, in the last podcast um, where, we, where we discussed the game in detail. But six wins in a row is maybe something that actually has been taken a little bit for granted, I feel like, considering when actually you realise the last time we even got a run close to this level was back in that famous Tagana season in 2000-2001 where we started with 11 consecutive victories. 
I think when wins are coming so naturally, so easy, you forget like how big a deal it is to, to win six football matches um, in a row. If you compare to where we were at the last international break after that Coventry game, it, it's chalk and cheese, the position that we find ourselves in now. Yeah, I think so. And it's intriguing, isn't it? Because we obviously sing about the, the 23 and, and all of those things you, that you look at them, right? But in even in the 23, I think we got five and a four, if, I, if I'm if i not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so you look at the way that it kind of hit, pans out and how that happens. And, you know, we always talk about unbeaten runs, right? And unbeaten runs are important because they're like lengths of time and they show you that you, you feel kind of invincible. But there's something about a winning run, isn't there? There's something about just being like and just clocking up points like they're going out of fashion. And I think considering what we've just seen for fun, especially given the context which it's in, like you look at the fact that we came out of this came into the last international break on such a low, right? Given the Coventry game, where we'd got to and been like, oh, have we overrated this team? Did we think we were, uh, did we get ahead of ourselves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And while all of the above might've been true, we might've got ahead of ourselves and there are good teams in this division and there are going to be teams that will cause us problems. The way to answer those critics, the way to do that is to emphatically win your next couple of games. And Fulham have done that, right? And I think what's maybe best about this run is that there's been a couple of, different elements to it right we haven't quite come from behind sure but we got pegged back against QPR and we picked up points from being pegged back for the first time this season then we went on some absolute juggernaut games where we you know felt like we were um, invincible there were certain games in the mix that we had to grind out like Peterborough and I'd argue a little bit like Cardiff as well where mm-hmm. we, we we kind of struggled to to really break down teams and still got it done got it over the line and the kind of mix up in those different types of victories we've had walks in the park we've had grinds we've had battles against local rivals it's intriguing to see that Fulham have come out on top on all of those and I just hope that this time, you know, last time I said when we were in the international break, that it might just be a time to just breathe, reset and go again. And it looks like that's what's happened. And look, Marcus Silva can take all the credit for that because he was able to revitalize a team which had come off a tricky period with players, some players that had gone, some players that had stayed, fixed it all up, changed Marek Rodak in goal, gave him the chance despite the fact that he wasn't there during that international break. He'd been out on international duty. Gaznik was in camp. And Rodak still got the gloves and got the opportunity. And you've got to think, look at that and think that's very, very good management. So when you look at all that, you just hope that this international break gives us a little bit of time to recharge, reset the batteries um, and go again on the same thing. And it doesn't as it did in the first time. We obviously started the season well, went into an international break, struggled a little bit, went into an international break, did really well, went into an international break, question mark, question mark, question mark. There's this point you go, right, can we now build on that? But I do think that as good as we were over the first couple of games of the season, this feels like a very different Fulham. This feels like a Fulham juggernaut that has rolled into gear. And I just hope the international break this time doesn't kind of calm that down. It just allows us to build onwards with recharged batteries. Yeah, I felt like that game again after the game against Peterborough. I, I personally feel like a break has come almost at the perfect time. Really, I thought I felt like quite a few players on Saturday were a bit leggy. Um, Tim Ream came on Twitter afterwards to say that he was actually genuinely knackered, and probably I, I feel like an international break is is what's helping Fulham. Interesting now that we obviously have the six month slog. Now there's no more kind of international break as a buffer when maybe we get a bit tired after six or seven games um but hopefully this might invigorate fulham for the next kind of big five that are coming up before christmas you have those uh, a simpler runner of fixtures um before the the big one on the horizon which is which is bournemouth so i'm just hoping that really apart from a few internationals that will obviously be a little bit jaded the likes of anthony robinson and, and, and the jamaica boys who are heading out west i think it's probably come at a good time yeah, I would agree with that. I think that we we did look a bit leggy on Saturday and we, we looked a bit like we needed a breather. And, and you know, there's always the, the question mark. And we said it on the post Blackburn podcast that there's this question mark over it. Sometimes that you go, oh, do you get a hangover from that kind of win? Like are the highs so high that you can also barely live up to them because mm. just how it's gone down. But that said, you know, at the moment, we can't really, there's no cause for complaint about anything. And I think that that's important to to look at. And, you know, we got the job done at Peterborough. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't easy. It wasn't the joyful, absolute walk in the park that perhaps the, the traveling faithful were hoping for. 
But those are the kind of performances the mild champions. And I tweeted at the time, you know, those are the ones you get over the line when you don't, you're not feeling great, you're not playing great, and you somehow get it done because you claw and you scratch and you bite and you get it done and, you know, use the post, use use your goalkeeper, take those moments of luck that come your way and suddenly Alexander Mitrovic has rose highest and nodded one into the corner and that's fine, that'll do. Thank you very much. Three points in the pocket and back on the train. Um, and, and I think that there is an element of great. Let's That's done. Now we've got obviously games that are on paper a lot easier. You look at Derby and Barnsley. Now obviously Derby wouldn't be where they are without the deduction. So you've got to take that league position with a pinch of salt. Um, but Barnsley have been poor this season. And then Preston, who are a bit of an bizarre quantity in some ways because they're, they're 17th they've been really poor and then they went and beat Bournemouth um and and then lost 3-0 to Forest they, they're a bit of a team that doesn't really make any sense so so the next three are going are to be important obviously every game's important it's the championship but you, you look at those and think okay slightly easier run sure but we'd also look at Peterborough and they say on paper this is an easier game than Blackburn and it wasn't so you know it, it, it all kind of comes with the caveat that the championship is the championship but I feel like we're in a good place yeah, and um, no idea yet who's going to be managing uh, Barnsley uh, for that game uh, next Saturday. Uh, Michael Flynn uh, is the favourite to take over um, at Barnsley. Alex Neal uh, has been mentioned as well. Uh, Flynn was the uh, former uh, Newport County manager who um, I just really remember for, it felt like causing an FA Cup upset every single season. <laughs> oh yeah, they love they loved it. Down at Rodney actually- Parade. I actually once saw Newport County beat Met Police FC in the second preliminary round of the FA Cup when I was covering covering yes. it once. So there you go. That's my uh, that's my association to Michael Flynn and Newport County. Um, <laughs> it, it, in that game, I, I got the huge honour of standing on the touchline next to Fulham legend Keanu Marsh Brown. So you know <laughs> there are there are scenes everywhere. Really, I had a great time. Yeah, indeed. Um, we're going to discuss um, Niskin's Cabano uh, in just a second, but I've got a couple of questions uh, for you that have come in via email. Hello at fullamish.co.uk. Uh, we do read the emails, so um, feel free to uh, send them in. First one from Aaron Trainer says, how long do you think it will be before Harrison Reeves finds the back of the net? He's been playing more of the eight role this season with uh, Seri sitting in the six. He's getting forward a lot more in games recently and, and had a great chance um, in the game against Blackburn. Uh, he said thoughts on that also says love the podcast long time listener and keep up the great work uh he he's an he's an irish lad as well jack so uh, a man after your heart yeah aaron and i are i believe in a in a group chat together so we're able to, to have oh the that, uh the the island the Fulham fans Fulham whatsapp fans group whatsapp group yeah great value great fun i love that all, well i don't know if it is the case but it's just every irish Fulham fan in this one whatsapp group well i don't know if everyone is i'm sure there are people who are going to hear this and be like hey why am i not in that group if that weird little plastic from london is um but on, <laughs> on the whole yeah there's a there's a lot of people in it it's a great group and it does good value and good and good there's a lot of fun in it so yeah um look harrison will score aaron i'm sure he will i, I hope against hope that it's either an absolute 30 yard thunderbolt or it goes in off his ass off a corner. Um, those are the two options for Harrison Reed to score a goal, I think. So so I think at some point, look, he's getting in the positions, he's getting forward, he's pushing onwards, and we're seeing him in that kind of box-to-box role. And I mean, I've obviously used this comparison before, but I've said at some point, his, his, the, the way that he plays, especially with someone behind him to spray the ball around, reminds me a little bit of N'Golo Kante. Not as good. <laughs> I'd love yeah. to say that he was as good as N'Golo, but he, he's, he's not at that level. But on the whole, they have very similar game styles, right? They're both dynamic, energetic eights. I like in that kind of eight role because it gives them the freedom to not have to just sit and block. Um, and the, it gives them also the point that you don't want Harrison Reed on the ball all the time. You want someone like Seri stroking it about because that's what they're incredibly good at. You want Harrison Reed bombing up and down, getting about, making a nuisance of himself, popping up in the right positions, making tackles, annoying opposition, etc., etc., etc. And there was a season a couple of years back, I think it was the season that Jorginho signed for Chelsea, where Angola Kante scored four or five goals in the first half of the season. And everyone was going, oh God, he's added goals to his game. What can't he do, etc., etc. But that was a it was a flash in the pan, but it did come from the fact that he just happened to be in those positions more because he'd been removed from that deeper role and allowed to kind of flourish a little bit further forward, mostly in a kind of destructive sense, but also just by the whole nature of moving a player into a new role. They become more of a threat during attacking phases because of the position they're standing in at the pitch. I think that's what yeah. we're seeing with Harrison at the moment. 
Um, and I think that because of that, the goals will come. It, you know, it's not going to be, he's suddenly not going to turn into a prolific goal scorer, I don't believe. Uh, but on the whole, I think that when you're looking at someone who's at the edge of the box, in and around it a little bit more, that there is going to come a time where the ball falls out to him and he strikes it through a crowd of bodies and it just finds the back of the net. Um, I think it's a matter of time. You do realise that that is what made Kevin McDonald so special. Can hit it from 25 yards, Alan Millwall, and it can also go in off his ass. It takes a, takes a truly unique player to be able to do both. A genuine genius. Um, speaking of long-range goals, this is something that I, um, I got bored the other day and, and worked out that um, as far as I've been able to calculate this season, um, Fulham have only scored two goals this year from outside the penalty box or certainly that I can remember. And actually I would argue that only one of those was a screamer, which would be Tom Kearney's rocket against Cardiff. Harry Wilson scored quite a good goal from outside the box on the opening day of the season against Middlesbrough. Wouldn't put it in the screamer territory. The one against QPR outside the box. It's it's close, but again, not quite what I mean in time terms of the screamer, but if, if, if it was, it's, it's on the borderline. Interesting. I went back to 18-19 last time we were in the championship. By this time that season, we'd scored five from outside the box. Now, normally you would maybe hear this stat on its own and think, oh, that's not a good thing. I actually think that this is showing everything that we criticised Parker for and what I think is better about this Marco Silva team. Do you know what it was that um, made me realise this? Is I saw Fulham posting the October goal of the month competition. And I just remember thinking, other than Tom Kearney's absolute bullet against Cardiff, that all the goals weren't that amazing in terms of a goal of the month. Now, I always think club-focused goal of the month competitions just don't quite work. I think you want it to be like match of the day and it's it, it never quite... Um, carries the same weight unless there's I enjoyed just been... it I just I just make it it always makes me laugh how obviously everything's completely silent apart from the ones for the first team where they have Jim and Jamie absolutely yapping over them yeah. um, and so like <laughs> it gives it a bit of a different like I would say like if you are a piece of advice club just get them like post commentators it's not that hard. Just like no, get someone it to come so bad. <laughs> just get someone to stand over them and just explain what's going on. I don't think it'd be that hard. Or or strip the sound out of the first team ones. Either way, you can't have some commentated and not some uncommentated. No, it does it sound a bit rubbish when it's just like. But also, I guess it's also the difference in like camera equipment because for the average under 18s game, I think they just use one of those cameras that's not even manned. It's like it just like tracks the ball, and then obviously you've got like Sky Sports multicam operation. It's almost just you pick the the first team goals because you can't half the time see the M ones. But yeah, I just thought that actually that was a quite a telling little nugget of info that just shows you really how this Fulham team really wants to hit the byline, doesn't necessarily want to score wonder goals and doesn't need to because we're creating so many opportunities in areas that actually matter rather than worldies from outside the box, even though we did have a kind of team that could pull them off with Kearney, Knockart, Cav, etc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a hundred percent a really good thing. And I think you, you go back to the dominant city sides, right, of a couple of years ago. How many goals did they scored just by putting the ball in the same area over and over and over and over again? Because people just can't deal with that cutback from the byline. Um, and Fulham haven't been quite the same, but we've been creating chances in the right areas. And I think when we talked about this at the time, so we're over-reliant on moments of individual quality to bail us out of bad group performances. And you could never say that about this Fulham side. Yes, we're reliant on Alexander Mitrovic in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net, but we're not reliant on moments of him pulling it out, beating five players and, and sticking one away. We're reliant on him taking the chances that we are creating for him as a group. And that's a massive, massive bonus. And I think that the more that Fulham continue to score goals from, this is going to sound ridiculous and, and I don't want it to sound like a, a real stats thing, but George Singer would would, would call this, you know, creating high XG art chances, right? We're creating yeah. chances that you're more likely to score from six yards out than you are from 35. Like, it's just a fact. And so if you create high quality chances in the area, you are increasing your likelihood massively of scoring. And while XG is a bit of a ridiculous stat taken individually, right? Like you can, any game can have a ridiculous XG swing on it because you can be more or less clinical than, than perhaps you, you, you envisaged. Over a season, XG tends to pan out. Like the team that creates the most chances and has the highest chances across the course of a season or racks up the most expected goals from their shots and chances created per season tend to be the teams at the top of the league. 
And the teams that create the least tend to be the ones at the bottom. And it, it really is as simple as that. And, you know, when you when you take all that into context, the fact that Fulham are creating a plethora of high quality chances in the box and making opportunities for a strikers, there's a reason that Mitrovic is on 20 goals. It's not just because Mitrovic is on really, really good streak of form, right? He is. Don't take that away from him. It's also because he's being given chances in the right areas that are easier to convert than the ones that he was being given in chance in, in years before. And and that is a good thing. And that's why I don't think this is a flash in the pan. Look, I don't know if Mitrovic is going to score 50 goals. I don't think he is. I think that's a streak that's a bit too far. But I think he'll get close to 40 because I think that, you know, barring injuries, touch wood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if he stays fit and Fulham stay playing the way that they're playing, I think he'll get close to 40 because the amount of chances and high quality chances we're creating in the opposition box, in areas that we want to be in, are good. And that's a massive, massive bonus. Guy Whittingham, 42 goals, 92-93. Mitro, that is still the aim. Come on, mate. We know we know you can do it. Um, that Guy Whittingham, Mitro has a lot more goals than he did at this stage of the season, by the way. But he just had the most like mad um, 10 to 15 games towards the end of the season. I don't know if the other teams are just fully given, given up. up. Yeah, I, There's a moment where Charlie Austin, I believe, scored 17 in 14 at one point for Burnley. Oh, really? Yeah, and the rest of the season petered out. Now, again, I don't think that's going to happen here, but it has been done before. There's been big flash, not flashes in the pan, because 14 is quarter of a season, more third of a season. But on the whole, you know, there are there are ups and downs with, with goal scoring and striking, and there will be purple patches and pa- patches that don't quite come as easily. Yeah. Uh, one more before we uh, take a break and discuss um, Niskin Scabano. Just got a really nice email here from Mark Whittock, uh, who sent this uh, yesterday. He said, hello to all that make up the Fulhamish podcast. I found your podcast three or four years ago. What an enjoyable find you've been. Have not missed one single podcast over the years. And the ones that you did in the early days of the pandemic were much needed relief in such a dark time. I just wanted to reach out and share my story of how I came to fall in love with Fulham. I'm 56 years old and I've lived in Northern California my entire life. My late father on the underhand was born and raised in Fulham just mere blocks away from the cottage I love that you can uh, you can sense the American coming through from the youngest of ages I can remember listening to shortwave radio with my father every Saturday for Fulham's results I can tell you I was hooked uh, my dad would tell me so much about the Fulham players his favourites were Mullery and Bobby Moore he's no longer here to share stories of years gone by or breakdown games and that's a huge void in my life your podcast though I'm truly grateful for it's my one connection with Fulham fans that I can rely on so I appreciate your pre and post-game analysis. I particularly enjoy your Thursday shows with Sammy, Jack and Peter. Well, I'm sorry that Peter's not here uh, to be the best part of that trio. Uh, Being able to watch every Fulham game plays is such a treat, especially when I think how we used to be huddled up listening to the BBC at 9am on Saturdays just to keep up with Fulham. Uh, In closing, I've never been to Fulham or seen them play, but it's definitely on my bucket list. Keep up the good work from Mark. Well, Mark, if you ever make it over to Craven Cottage, um, then uh, yeah, definitely definitely give us a shout. We'd love to... uh, have a beer with you yeah it's amazing what a great story what yeah, a great, great story, story. lovely up. email thank Warm you so up. much for uh for getting in touch with that one so uh, we're going to take a break and afterwards we're going to discuss niskin's cabano hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, and it's Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Uh, we've got some naughty garms, by the way, some new merch on the uh, the Fulhamish shop. Um, I, Garmin. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I implore you to, to go check it out, fulhamish.co.uk forward slash shop. Um, it's all very nice stuff. We wanted to create some, some merch that you'd uh, wear to the cottage and wear down the pub. Uh, give it a look uh, if you fancy getting something good for Christmas. And um, Jack, let's discuss um, Niskin's Cabano. Mm. Uh, Peter wrote an article about him in The Athletic uh, with Mark Kerry, who is one of um, the Athletic's stats guys. Also one of the nicest men on earth, by the way. Oh, I've never met, I've never met Mark. Yeah, is he? Mark is absolutely lovely. Like, oh, a beautiful. really, really nice guy. 
Well, that makes this article even more worth your time. Uh, and it's just looking at the run that uh, Schaefer, Kneeskins, has um, had in the side. And look, he got the assist on Saturday. Um, another one chalked up for, for Kneeskins this season. Obviously, uh, picked up a, a couple of goals in that Blackburn match as well. And I heard not the top 20 doing some analysis on Niskins Cabana this week as well, Jack. And it, they basically just said, what a baffling player, uh, a player that Fulham have basically sidelined every time that we've gone up to the Premier League. Last year, he had to go on loan to Middlesbrough and it wasn't a particularly great time um, for Niskins. And I think we all probably thought his time at Fulham was coming to an end um, this summer. Um, he's been behind so many different wingers over the years. You think back to a couple of years ago when it was Knockhart and Cavalero who who got the nod. He always found it quite hard to get past Floyd Ayite. Last year in the Premier League, we brought in Adamola Lookman. And we've always known that Niskins is a really fun guy. You only have to watch some of his kind of video diaries that used to do on the preseason tours. Bring those back, by the way. Um, they are much missed. Um, so I just look at what Niskins is doing and I don't think I've ever just been more delighted for a Fulham player to be on form. Yes, I enjoy watching Mitrovic, um, you know, do his thing in front of the Hammersmith end. And there's been lots of other great Fulham players that I've enjoyed over the years, but there's just something about Niskins, a little bit of a rags to riches story in terms of his Fulham career and what we're seeing. Um, do you think that now his place in that front three is um, is 100% set? Look, of course he could go on a bad run of form, but right now all evidence points that he is going to be that man on the left wing for the whole season, barring injuries or, as I say, a massive reduction in uh, his performances. Yeah, I think Silver and, and Barmorte have both seen this and gone, well, that's a player that can make a difference in the final third. And also, perhaps more than anything, have seen a player that can make a difference when things are tight, right? Like We, we, we spent so much time under Scott Parker bemoaning the fact that when teams set up to block us out, to, to, to stop Fulham playing, we were unable to break us down. I'm talking championship, obviously, rather than the Premier League. Yeah. Um, and we we spent ages and, and Parker's response, as we kind of alluded to, I suppose, in the in the first half of the show, was to bombard from distance, right? To get Harry Arter shooting from 30 yards, to get Cavalero cutting inside and shooting from outside the box. Same with Knockart. That's what we saw more of. Whereas Silver's response seems to be, right, let's get a player in here who we can get the ball to and can work in seconds of you know needs millimeters of space he could you know trick his way out of a phone box and i think that's the the important thing here is that he's found someone who can break down low blocks break down teams who are set in break down defenders who only want to shut out and clear right and and that's a massive advantage at this point in the championship because we're going to come up against more and more sides who go god's full of scary aren't they and Mm. try and just block us out and there, you know, it's easier away from home, obviously, to because, you know, home crowds will always want their teams to at least try and show some sort of fight. But on the whole, you know, there are always going to be teams who come to the cottage, shut up shop and go, we'll have a point, please. And and, and thank you. And we will run we, you know, tail between our legs with that point. Niskan Scabano, and I think we saw it a couple of weeks back with that absolutely ludicrous piece of skill um, and, and, and how it all went down. And, you know, just didn't look like he was going anywhere. And suddenly he was between two players and into the penalty box and away. And he's always had that ability. What we're seeing it now is focused in the right areas of the pitch. You know, what you see with Niskan's is, He's high and he's wide. You know, he's not being asked massively to cut inside and, and drill shots in because he's not hugely brilliant at it, to be honest. You know, what we're, what we're seeing is a manager who has asked Niskins to beat his man and get to the byline or beat his man and cut inside after he's beaten his man and, you know, do that. Or beat his man, chuck back and get a cross in. All of which he's very, very good at, right? What he's not good at is doing what Harry Wilson does, for example, right? Drifting in off his flank to try and get shots in on goal from the other side. And with the two of them, we've reached a really nice balance either side of Mitrovic where we have the ability to go wide and get the fullbacks over and and flick in or we have the ability to go over to Wilson, let him drift inside and get that right back round the outside as if we're going Ryan Fredericks-esque. And it gives Fulham two different avenues, which is something we haven't seen for ages. Just the ability to really really go two different ways or you know obviously Fulham have a midfield general who can pick out passes wherever they are and we can go straight through the middle as well you know those graphs we used to get on you know on Sky or on BT where it shows you your lines of attack 
And it shows you, like, oh, 58% of Fulham attacks have come down the right-hand side with Ryan Fredericks flying down there. Sure, great. Ryan Fredericks was excellent. And yeah. Sessignon on the other side was trying to get on the end of everything. So that's how the, that's how the system worked under Ikanovic. Now, Fulham are far less predictable. We can go wide to Niskins, have him trick his way through a couple of players and, and flick it over, or we can go outside to Wilson. And I think it means that beforehand, when Niskins was playing mostly weirdly on the right, he'd kind of be isolated with two defenders because they'd know what was going to happen because they didn't need to have the whole pitch stretched out because they knew exactly where Fulham were going to go. It feels that we're more unpredictable. And on the back of that, a player who has the ability one-on-one that Niskan Cabano has is having a field day. And then on top of that, you've got to put into the fact that his end product just seems to be far more, far sharper this season. And I'm not sure what that development is. Maybe it's him coming off the left rather than you know being forced to play slightly out of position. Maybe it's him just finding a little bit more comfort in those roles, but we're seeing him reap the benefits. Yeah. Um, there's some great stats on, on this article uh, with, with Niskins, just looking at, at some of his um, quality and some of his um, best attributes, um, his ball retention ability, his numbers are really high, receptions in the opposition box, shot volume, uh, and obviously his dribbling statistics uh, on here are, are absolutely exceptional as well. Niskins, as I mentioned, both times, Jack, that we've gone up has kind of been given the slight boot when it comes to the Premier League, particularly in um 2021 where we went up um he was quite instrumental in that playoff run particularly from free kicks and then never really got a look in once Lookman uh came came into the club I don't want to a assume that we're promoted because we're not and b I don't really think it's the debate to be having right now of who should be starting in the prem but do you think all things going perfectly, Marcus Silva in charge next season. Do you think Niskins has what it takes to perform in the Prem? You look at what he did uh, to Joe Wards on on Saturday, that little shimmy in the cross into the box. I imagine most Premier League right backs aren't going to be quite so generous with him. But that skill that he did against West Brom, I mean, that is that is world class. He's going to beat some players, have the ability to beat some players in the Premier League as well. I just don't know, has he got a ceiling or do you think actually he's just never really been given the opportunity in the right team with the right manager? I don't know, Yeah, is the honest answer. And I think it's one that without any real visual data or ability to see you know, what he's done there, it's really hard to judge. There are some players who just don't make that jump up. And actually the fact that you get a little bit more time and space in the championship and defenders stand off you a little bit more is is probably useful at this point. That said, defenders lunging in at Niskins and him skipping past them has been a, a regular feature of this season so far. And maybe it is. If you can get him in a balanced attack that works, and you get him the ability to to go through those things, then sure, why not? I mean, I'm, I'm not ruling it out by any chance, and I'm not. I don't think there's a point to be made here that I think whether it's as a starter or as someone who can make an impact off the bench, there is a place for Niskins in a Premier League side. I think there is. Yeah, I I, I think there is a player there who could cut it at least at the very least an impact player in the Premier League. Um, but on the whole, we're still kind of clutching at shadows in actually having statistics or. Or, or even just being able to watch him play in the Premier League and really, you know, know what we're doing with it. So it's a little bit grasping in the dark. Um, but mm. I think what he's shown this season means that he should 100% be getting a chance. Yeah. And I guess actually you kind of mentioned it there. It's the fact that now no longer is he being asked to be an impact sub after years and years and years, just always your role being, oh yeah, if we're 2-0 down, uh, 20 minutes to go, yeah, we'll bring you on and you're going to have to somehow rescue life into matches. And, you know, he did it on a, on, on a couple of occasions. Um, and I remember that game when we were 2-0 down to Bristol City and we um, never got that penalty in the last minute, which was a foul on Cabano, but he was instrumental in trying to get us back into that match. He could do it. But after years and years and years of that being your only role, that must just get quite like... Tiring. He's tiring, frustrating. That's the other thing, right? So we're looking at a player who's probably coming to the end of his peak years. Now, there's obviously a little bit of give and take here because considering he's played so much as an impact sub you'd imagine the physical toll on him as a player has been lessened over the last couple of years so you might get that peak stretched out a little bit longer than perhaps someone who'd been playing 90 minutes every single week Um, and I very much hope that's the case but on the whole you're still looking at a player who potentially is coming to the twilight years of their of, of their real powers 
Um, so we'll see. I, I think it's just interesting to keep an eye on. I think we'll get one, two good more years out of Neeskins. By that point, he'll be on eight years. And I know Harry's been banging this drum forever that he's not far off a testimonial now. Um mm. Got to keep him, keep him here until he's done ten years with the club, and we can give him, give him the send off that he deserves. Yeah, there's a couple of people getting uh, bordering on that. Uh, TC Reem, um, both kind of getting to. Or you wonder if Reem will ever actually will be playing when he gets to that point. But TC, if he stays here, there's not beyond the realms of possibility. I can't remember a Fulham testimonial in my time watching the club. There you go. I don't know if we do them. Do we? Well, I imagine we do. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Really I might understand. be. I might be wrong. There might be someone. I don't know if everyone does them. I don't. I don't know if they're a thing that much, like outside of like massive, massive clubs. But oh. who knows? Who knows? I, I. I mean, there might have been one back in the day, and someone's going to send in an email like they did when I said that um, we played Swansea in the uh, auto. Please do let us know. I'd love. I'd love to go to a testimonial. Yeah. The cookie. Cookie might have got one, but I think that wasn't for ten years. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, there, there was a mistake last week, Jack, by the way, that a lot of people tweeted me about. I said that, um, uh, Fulham beat Swansea seven nil in the Autoglass trophy and, uh, it was very much the FA cup. So I got, uh, I got a few very nice uh, and so reminders. You should. Give him more abuse next time. Someone even came up to me in Peterborough and was like, how many people have told you that it was not the uh, autoglass trophy, it was the FA Cup? I was like, yeah, a few, but thanks. Um, great. We're going to take another break. And then I've got my little game for Jack just to end the podcast. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy here with Jack Collins. And so I've got a little idea for a game to play. Um, and I've done this on the radio actually before this game. It's called Bronze, Silver, Gold. Um, and I just thought it might work uh, for a little international break uh, podcast special. Um, if you disagree with the choices, feel free to get involved. Now, Jack, obviously um, you are famous for hosting a podcast that ranks things every week. And so this is very much up your street. It is called bronze, silver, gold. Give you a category and you need to give me basically your top three in a certain category. Now, I did write some for Peter until he couldn't do the podcast today. So I'm going to maybe we'll get him to do this next week because I was going to ask him uh, his top three Fulham performances this season, which was a kind of serious one. And then I was going to ask him his top three nice Fulham players. So basically all the people he's met, I was going to get him to rank them bronze, silver, gold, which I, I imagine he'll hate because he, he never likes uh, revealing his uh, his sources in that way. But anyway, we'll put him on the spot next week. All right. So I've got two for you, Jack. We'll start with your Fulham one. I would like to get you to give me a bronze, silver, gold Fulham players this season. So what would you like oh, okay. to go with? Um, I'll go bronze for Neeskins. Um, I think he's been remarkable, but I think there've been players that have been ahead of him. I think he's a, I he's, wondered if you might go with him much higher. I thought you I might go thought, with him as your alternative gold, basically. It's no, obvious. I think, I don't think you can go alternative on gold this season. It's just a bit ridiculous. I think too, uh, my silver is John McHale Seri. Uh, and and the gold I think goes around the neck of Alexander Mitrovic. It's just like I said at the top, right? A goal, a goal contribution every fifty-eight minutes. It's just ludicrous. Like it's like absolutely and utterly ludicrous numbers. Like Messi at his peak in his prime was running those kind of numbers. Like the year he scored ninety-one goals, these are the kind of numbers he was racking up. Now I'm not saying they're the same player, right? Before I get told or that I'm comparing Alexander Mitrovic to Messi, but. No. Those are the kind of you know comparisons you can make when someone is scoring this many goals, um, and and right now he, he's unplayable. So that's 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 what's going in there. I think that's it. Feels like the only the only person that could go at the top. Yeah, I I think maybe after Saturday, Neeskins would just edge into bronze for me. Before then, though, I think I would have put in Tosin. I think that he's been phenomenal at the back. And I think you saw it um, in the Peterborough game that I felt like he was missed in that way. It was that aerial bombardment in the second half. Look, I like Michael Hector, but I think without Tosin, I think we are a, a much weaker side. I think there's there's claims to be made for Marek Rodak and Bobby Reed as well. But basically because neither of them have featured quite as you know Heavily, consistently yeah. as those three, I think at this point, you know, when you're this kind of game, 17 games in, you need to be putting someone who's been in sort of 15, 14 starts to, mm. to really get, to really get going. So that's my, that's Wilson my... as well. Yeah, I mean, Wilson's actually good, he's had, but... he had a couple of quiet patches. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. So I think those three for me would be the, uh, the top three. I'll go to you, shall I? Um, and we'll go, 
with your top three Fulham goals this season. Yeah, now this is hard. I've I've gone a little bit on enjoyment as well as technique here. So I've just gone for the ones that I particularly enjoyed, which um, I think one of them you'll think like, what, really? Uh, first one, Bobby Reed against QPR. Um, I just, I, I loved everything about this. The pass from Seri, and it was one of those moments in the Hammersmith end where it was a classic, go on, silence, hit it corner goal and it being against QPR as well it was when you knew as well that the, the game was won like the Mitrovic header was important it was the turning point in the match but you knew that QPR weren't going to um, get us back from from 3-1 down um, so yeah definitely Bobby Reed against QPR yeah, also I felt like Bobby Reed put to rest a couple of demons from like a couple of games earlier where he missed a load of chances against Reading so um, I'd have that one as bronze silver I just really enjoyed this goal, but it probably wasn't even that impressive. But it was uh, Harry Wilson away at Birmingham. Um, I was at this match and it was a lovely through ball from Chalaber, who I think we thought at this point was going to feature a lot more um, than he has. Obviously, injuries have been a, a big uh, reason behind that. But it was just, a maybe you're learning something here that I love nothing more than a simple through ball and a good finish. Um, <laughs> but it was just really well taken. Again, it was one of those moments in the match. I think that was to make it 3-0. You knew that the game was won um, at that point. Decent limbs uh, in, in the away end uh, for that goal. So yeah, I've gone for uh, Wilson against Birmingham. And uh, I think the gold is a little bit obvious. Tom Kearney, Cardiff, best moment of the season by far. Um, just the way that that game was slipping away from us, it was pissing it down with rain. It felt like it was going to be a really crap one. Then Cardiff were going to shithouse their way to either a nil-nil draw or a one-nil win. On comes the captain back, second game back, and he does that magic. So I think that's got to be my gold. Fair. I think the goal I would have had in here in terms of pure like, oh, we're good, was Carvalho's first one. Well, Carvalho's goal, his first of the season. Um, against Huddersfield yes, uh, where they scored and we were like oh here we go and then two minutes later went straight up the other end and just scored and it was like oh we're really good that like, we're Bobby really, Reed, really uh, good Nutmeg's uh, one of the Huddersfield players in the yeah. build up I think it was a lot to be honest you could have picked all three both the Carvalho and then both the Cavallero goals um, which were both beautiful finishes I tell you um, what, the Mitrovic and- one was actually in my, as a lot, as a jokes one, I was thinking of putting that in as bronze because that is still the best goal of the season. Mitrovic's first against Huddersfield where it kind of goes in off his armpit. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we've scored some terrible goals. There was the one against Forrest as well where they just forgot to defend. Enjoyed that. <laughs> the goal against West Brom where they passed it to him. I like, yeah. really, really enjoyed myself for a, for a little while in, in some of these. So yeah, absolutely. There were, some, there were some good goals, but they were very good. Good answers. Well done. Okay, right. This is where I think things get a bit more controversial. So this is a non-serious top three, bronze, silver, gold. So I'd like your bronze, silver, gold. Top three, Fulham managers you'd like to have a pint with. So you can pick them past or not present. Serious. That's arguably the most serious question you've ever asked me on the podcast. Well, okay. Um, and you clarified this in the break. They don't have to be alive. So yeah. um, this can be, this is a metaphorical pint. It's not going to actually happen. So yeah, bronze, silver, gold, top full of managers that you'd like to have a pint with. Okay. So third is Chris Coleman. I mean, a man that would enjoy having a pint back with you. Yeah. So like, obviously I spent some time in, in my life with, with Dean Jones um, because we worked together and yeah. he was on, he was the beat full and beat writer when, Cookie was taking over management. He just said that they were the best night out he's ever had, ever gone on with those, with, with, with Cookie and, and Kit and all of that lot. Um, so that there was just unbelievably good value. So I think just in terms of a pure good night out and just going for some beers, Chris Coleman's there on, on that value. That's yeah. not like, I, I'd love to pick his brain about lots of things, but this is more kind of just like, I think it would be just really enjoyable to go yeah. for a pint with him. Then there's, in second is the person who I think crosses the, two at once so yes really enjoyable pint but most but also would love to to know more about their career their lives and and everything they did and that's kevin keegan <laughs> yes so kevin keegan would be number two for me um and then number one uh sir bobby robson uh, obviously what a, what a life what a career yeah. um and i'm just one of the great thinkers of, of english football um just i think that would if if you said to me any fuller manager ever it would probably be bobby yeah, 100%. I think um, 
I'm trying to think if there's anyone else in there that I'd absolutely I'd love loved. to go for a glass of wine with silver or Tagana, but I'm not sure that we'd add that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess actually in the question, you would never go, you wouldn't go for a pint with Jean Tagana, would you? I probably would. I'd go for whatever well, I mean, Jean who Tagana wanted. But, but um, yeah. you know, yeah, a nice glass. So if you asked me the question was three, three for Fulham managers to have a glass of glass of wine on the Riviera with, it'd probably have been Tagana, silver and maybe Ikanovic. I reckon Ikanovic does a glass of wine on the, on the, on the river. I, I mean, Yukanovich has definitely got a, a cellar full of red, hasn't he? Really yeah, full, full-bodied red in the yeah. uh, in the cellar. I mean, the most jealous I think I've ever been of any Fulham story is when uh, we had uh, David Lloyd on this podcast from um, There's Only One F in Fulham. Uh, year or so ago um when he was um selling uh the book and he talked about the time that he got invited to go have dinner with uh john tagana at uh at tagana's favorite french restaurant uh on the uh on the south coast of france and yeah i was i was fairly jealous when i heard that story okay yeah i I, I, I can definitely agree with all of those choices um one that you didn't mention is in my top three from my category so i'll come on to him so uh, what what would what would you like me to give my top three non serious? I would like you to tell me your silver bro- bronze silver gold of dream Fulham interviews, past, present, managers, players, people around the club, whatever. It doesn't that just anything to do with Fulham? Yeah, uh, but yeah, your your interviews. Okay. I mean, if 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 I can get any three of these bookings, then I'm doing extremely well. <laughs> extreme, one of them, extremely, extremely well. Uh, so in bronze, I have gone for one of my all-time kind of earliest memory cult heroes, probably the greatest player in terms of caliber, I think, to play for this club. That's a bold claim, but it's Edwin Van der Sar. Yeah. Um, he seems like a lovely bloke. He's obviously a proper football man. And you can see that from, from what he's doing as part of Ajax right now, one of the best teams in Europe consistently massively punching above their weight. And Edwin van der Sar is a big part to play in that. Um, he was part of an iconic era, a club that really he was always just a little bit too big for, wasn't he? Quite frankly, the fact that he then went on later in his career when he was older to go on and win the Champions League and the Premier League multiple times for um, for Manchester United. I'd just love to know the story of everything that came to pass of Edwin van der Sar being at Fulham for four years as well. It was not like he just came for one season, did an Alphonse Areola and then moved on to beg- bigger and better things. He was here for a, a serious chunk of time. So he'd be my bronze. Uh, silver... Um, and look, I think given ill health, this probably would have been an interview that would have been better back in the day, but I would love to meet Mohamed Al-Fayed. Yeah. Like, I mean, and hopefully at a uh, location of his choosing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe the, the top floor of Harrods, maybe book that out for for us. Um, if, if, he, if he still has the keys to Harrods anymore, I doubt not. But um, yeah, obviously a man that was behind everything that Fulham is, um, nowadays and i had a bit of a debate actually with someone the other day which was you know see who was saying oh why is there not a song for shade khan and i just was like it's most owners don't get songs right most owners you don't hear i don't know the villa fans talking about their ceo even though he seems like quite a sound bloke like you just don't really get that these days al fired even though if you look at the end of his tenure at fulham and it, it was bit controversial he clearly wasn't investing as as much as he needed to for us to be a a, a Premier League club and I think he pulled the rug a little bit from under the Khan's feet in terms of what he sold them at the highest value when he not really invested in the team for years still was you know instrumental to everything uh these days so definitely Mohamed Al-Fayed but my gold will always be my gold it will always be uh the biggest dream is Sir Roy Hodgson yeah um I mean, what what a privilege that would be one day if you ever got five minutes uh, with with Sir Roy. Um, he's doing the rounds. He's he's around. He's not got loads going on. So you know, if, if Roy, if you're listening, um, feel free to yeah, to come nice. on the pod. Um, any end there that you would add, agree or disagree? Well, I mean, yeah, I imagine all, you'd agree with all of them. I don't think really you'd turn them down. Yeah, absolutely. I would maybe had one of the Rachels in Rachel Unit or Rachel Yankee or, or Marianne Spacey, to be honest. Um, obviously, part of that iconic. Fulham ladies generation who yeah. you know set the world on fire in 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 so many ways so uh, they would have been maybe the ones that I would have shouted as, as left field but I think your interviews are pretty nailed on unbelievable um that there are there are so many legends associated with the club it's almost impossible to pick three right but um look completely fair enough 
Yeah, indeed. Well, there's the top three. We're going to get Peter's uh, top three nice Fulham players next week if he agrees to it. He might not. Uh, but yeah, let us know if you agree or disagree with uh, some of our choices. It'd be interesting to see uh, what, what you think. Um, get us on Twitter, at Fulhamish Pod, uh, if you've made it to this far of the podcast and you've got your opinions on uh, on what we said, particularly the silly categories. I think we can all probably agree that the the top Fulham uh, goals and players, is it kind of speaks for itself, particularly the players. But yeah, top three managers you'd like to have a pint with and uh, top three that you'd love to either just meet or, ha- or interview if ever you wanted to interview someone if or maybe you have another podcast or something like that. Um, let us know anyway, at Fulhamish Pod. Uh, and that'll do for today. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, international break special. Uh, Fulhamish will be back on Monday with the Jack and Joe show. Um, if you uh, follow us on YouTube, you'll know that Jack Kelly and Joe Sansom uh, do a, a weekly show over on our YouTube, which we've been building for a couple of years. And we thought we'd like it to go to a bit of a different audience. I'm sure there's lots of people here that have never been on our YouTube channel and so never encountered uh, Jack and Joe. It's a really, really great show that they do um, every week. And we thought we'd give them a chance to put the show onto the podcast feed uh, and maybe in time you can become a regular to uh, what they put out on YouTube. Uh, But before then, uh, have a lovely weekend. Jack Collins, thank you very much for being on the pod today. Thank you, Sammy. I'm excited to hear Jack and Joe go podcast. Um, this is a new one. I mean, and I love the show. I love the show on YouTube. So delighted they're getting that sh- uh, that opportunity. And we'll see you on Thursday for the Thursday Club. What a, yeah. what a week of content that is. A big week of content. Uh, if you're going to the uh, Fulham women's match on Sunday, uh, do do enjoy it. At 2.30, they're playing Oxford United women. Still tickets available. Uh, we're going to be doing some coverage on that in next Thursday's um, podcast. Um, big game, FA Cup first round uh, against a team that is above them in the uh, in the tier system. So it'll be a big shock if they can get a result. So good luck to, to Fulham ladies. And uh, if you're making it down to, to Motspur Park, uh, do cheer on the girls will be definitely uh, rooting for them and yeah some analysis on that on Thursday's pod so until then have a great weekend for you whites you whites